1982, Toto released Rosanna, won the Grammy Award for Record of the Year uh, and was nominated for the Song of the Year. And as you know, Toto is one of the world's greatest bands, some say alongside the Beatles, often famous for their song Africa. Uh, I mean, just great music leaving it, huh? Yeah, no, great, great music. I always thought that song was based on Rosanna Arquette because I knew she dated um, the keyboard player, Steve Ricardo. You've you've got it in one. You've got one. Ah, what what, what about you, Sam Johnson? Ever, I love ever, it. Ever, do you like it? Ever heard of Toto? I definitely have heard of Toto. I can play Africa on the piano, actually. It's a great <laughs> That's song. That's not a dog. <laughs> That's not a dog, by the way. I, I, I also know Toto the dog. Hang on. No you can play Africa on the Africa. piano? Yeah, that, that wonderful uh, prelude to it. It's really, for any of the pianists out there, just learn that we yep. the riff at the start. It's just beautiful. Next time you're on the panel, we're going to have a little <laughs> keyboard set up. I mean it. And you're going to play that to us live. I shall do a lot of practice, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> 25 to 5, Sam Johnson and Lavina are good with us. Now, uh, Sam is the project director at Still, former chief executive of the Student Volunteer Army. Lavina is the founder member of uh, Otomotai Social Supermarket in Tauranga, International Olympic commentator. Well, former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's valedictory speech shared a message to those thinking about entering politics but not thinking they are tough enough. You can be that person and be here. Reaction poured in internationally. The Washington Post described her style of governance as empathetic, that she had become a liberal feminist icon. New York Times praised her as well. Frequent Ardern critic Dan Wooten in the Daily Mail said she was the reigning queen of the woke world. And the poll results, should Jacinda Ardern be knighted, 78% said yes, 22% said no. A huge response. To get reaction, we have uh, Sir Bob Harvey, uh, uh, former um, uh, Labour Party, or probably Labour Party member now, aren't you, Sir Bob? Kia ora. How cute are you? Yeah, I used to be the president of, That's right. of that organisation, and uh, it was great. Uh, now, and Helen Clark, of course, was the PM, and she was pretty good. But Jacinda was superb, superb. So, I mean, Helen was a different kind of leader, but both these women showed astonishing leadership. That's what it's about, and leadership is pretty hard, and it's, pretty, it's a difficult act to follow. But um, maybe Chippy's got it. I think he has. Now, we had historian uh, Professor Michael Balgrave on yesterday, and I asked her, will Jacinda Ardern's influence be felt akin to the likes of David Longy? And he said something quite interesting. He said, way beyond David. Way beyond. 
Uh, Jacinda and I, Jacinda and I, shared a great love for Norman Kirk um, because I think 50 years ago we elected him last year uh, Prime Minister. I consider him to be better than David Long, even though I work with David uh, and helped get him elected, as I did with yeah. Helen and uh, many Prime Ministers since, since way back since '69. So I've kind of known them all and worked with them, and have really looked at leadership through a different lens, actually. Uh, and I realised how difficult and tough it is. I think if anyone wants to knight her, which sounds bizarre, doesn't it, um, or give her a damehood, um, they should ask her. Uh, and my feeling is that it doesn't kind of fit that well. But I think the Order of New Zealand does. The Order of New Zealand is that uh, rather small group of uh, smart, sometimes not that smart, but they are our best and brightest. Uh, I think that would fit. But I think we should ask her. Interesting. Yeah, Lavina. Well, she led our country for half a decade and she managed to unite us as a nation on one of our darkest days, which was during the mosque attacks. And she also managed to get her government to shut down a nation peacefully, subsidise, I guess, the economy in a way, and also by doing that, maintaining a, a social harmony. So when I think of Jacinda Ardern, I think Wahini Toa. I think she's a strong woman. And whether or not you're a Labour fan or a Jacinda fan, it would be very difficult to argue against the fact that she loves New Zealand and its people. She gave birth a year into a tenure and sacrificed family time and prioritised herself and her life for what she believed was making New Zealand a better place. So I think in comparison to some of the leaders around the world that she was up against and could have described as compatriots in a way, I say don't just make her a dame, I say make her the queen of Aotearoa. <laughs> yeah, I looked at this day and thought, how did we lose this great woman? Uh, mm. How did we let her go? And we have and we've done it. And we, I don't know if we'll regret it. I wouldn't say that, but I would say that something very special in our lives passed through. And, oh, no, Bob, uh, but we, we, haven't, we haven't lost her. I think this is the interesting thing, the, the, the sort of the highest level, and I, I believe that she should get uh, a very senior, the, the highest level of recognition possible, um, whether you uh, agree or disagree with her politics. Uh, she has done a remarkable job for New Zealand, and actually, I have more importantly... Her politics and, and her wisdom uh, very much. Yeah, I've never agreed with anything more than I agreed with that woman and what she was doing with our country. Sam, to respond? Well, my, my point, Bob, is more um, if, for, the, for those who don't agree, look at what she will go on to do. I mean, she's still a very young, she's a, a young sure. woman and she will go on and represent New Zealand for uh, the rest of her life because of the work she's done now and I hope that and, you know she's the sort of person who will carry on doing that and living her values in a way that actually yeah. betters New Zealand. So uh, I don't think we should think about having lost her as such. She's been our Prime Minister and now she's hopefully she'll continue to go on to, to more great and, and sure. Um, sure. Better, better things. Yeah. Interesting. So, Bob, you, you mentioned that notion of leadership because I'm always, you know, often interested in that. And we've debated the rights and wrongs. We we did a lot with Sue Bradford uh, and Nick Lickett yesterday. Nick gave Jacinda Ardern a five. Not that impressed. Uh, Sue Bradford uh, an eight uh, with caveats around uh, some of the things that Sue thought uh, she found to deliver on. But the notion of leadership, it must be hard to know. Who's coming up and who will become a leader? Because there, there, there are so many ethereal aspects to leadership, I can imagine. I'm, and I'm asking sure. someone who's actually uh, been in the midst of some real heavyweights. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I thought I, that David was David Longy was very difficult against Muldoon, but right. Mike Moore and I worked very hard behind the scenes, and we knew that if Muldoon called an election, and he did, uh, we would be able to win, and we did. We were ready to heal New Zealand, and all we had to do really is convince David Longy that he needed to build a campaign around the healing. Of New Zealand. That's what we wanted. We were devastated with the Springbok clashes, blood on the streets. We wanted a different kind of leadership, and he gave it to us. Um, so did Helen. Uh, I thought she was ex- great the way that she brought together New Zealand. Each of these leaders brought together something special in us. I think right now uh, we ain't in great shape. Uh, the cyclones, the weather, mm. climate. This country is not in great shape, and I think we're bloody lazy, for instance. We can't finish things. We can't do things. Um, maybe I'm just talking about Auckland. Um, the rest of New Zealand might say, well, that's you. And it is. Uh, we are void of great leadership. I think she brought great leadership to that role. Um, she brought something very special. Good to have you on. Yeah, good to have you on, Sir Bob. Kia ora. Thanks uh, for your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's Sir Bob Harvey there, reflecting on uh, Jacinda Ardern's leadership. Just that poll again. Uh, should Jacinda Ardern be knighted, whether or not she wants to, that is. Uh, 78% said yes, 22% said no. Uh, so uh, pretty interesting uh, there. Now, just in terms of traffic updates, uh, if you are planning on catching a flight this evening, the travel time from Auckland CBD to the airport is one hour, five minutes, 39 minutes slower than usual. So uh, make sure you have plenty of uh, time uh, whenever you are travelling uh, this evening. Lavina Good and Sam Johnson joining me this afternoon. Now, women's rugby has entered a new era following the success and support the Black Ferns saw at the Rugby World Cup. And yesterday, NZ Rugby launched a 10-year action plan committing to shifting outdated perceptions of the women's game. And that that includes a five-point strategy that will address culture, system participation, performance and transition. And New Zealand Rugby said they will put nearly $22 $22 million towards the goals this year. So to comment and uh, someone who's looked over this, pretty significant announcement. Uh, we have senior sports journalist Zoe George. Kia ora, Zoe. Hello, Wallace. Always lovely to be on the panel. Oh, no, a pleasure. And looking at this plan <laughs> outlined over 53 pages, uh, yeah. what are the key points from your point of view? Yeah, well, I think for me this indicates that New Zealand rugby are acknowledging that they have fundamentally neglected women and girls rugby for decades um, and that they're going to do something about fixing it. Now, one of the things I think is really important to know is that women have been playing rugby in New Zealand not long, since not long after the men. So late 1800s is when women started to play rugby. But we haven't had the investment, the resources, the opportunities, the support, the funding, the sponsors like the men have had. And yet we've still played the game. We've still got it done. And we've been highly successful at it. I mean, the Black Ferns have won six World Cups compared to the All Blacks three. <laughs> so <laughs> so we are highly successful in sport and in rugby. Um, I, you know, the fact 
that they've identified culture as one of their main pillars is really important. There has been uh, this whole perception that women possibly don't belong in rugby, that it's a men's game, that it's an old boys club, but now it's just simply not true. Girls and women, everyone belongs in rugby and I've said it before and I'll say it again, but sport is for all, not just for some. And so for me, this is a really great indication. It's 10 years long though, which is really long. And I really hope that it just doesn't get put in a drawer somewhere and forgotten. Um, But I feel that the women that I know who work in rugby or involved in rugby, they're not going to let that happen. And those women had their voices heard as part of this process as well. So I'm really glad that New Zealand Rugby has recognised that it's you know nothing about us without us, and that's super important. Okay, so Lavini, you you on this? This is this um, pretty big announcement actually. That women and girls in rugby system strategy ten years long, twenty two million pumped in. Uh, thoughts on this? Um, first of all, I'm so glad Zoe George is on the show. I'm a long time admirer, and I applaud you, Zoe, oh. for championing not just women in sport, but women and sport. So it's it's great to have you. Um, I'll come out and say I've been really critical of New Zealand rugby um, this year for its consideration of the Opiki competition. I think it started way too early in the season. It didn't last long enough and it was under promoted. And that was on the back of just five months ago where the Black Ferns were victorious and winning a world championship. So I've critiqued that, but New Zealand rugby have um, indicated that next year's competition will extend to Australia and also make the sport a little bit more extended with the um, promotion of the competition, which is great. I do think that the strategic plan is a a great step forward. I mean, we can look at the dollar value and say it's great that New Zealand rugby have decided to invest some funds in it. But I really think, Zoe, this plan will only work if community sports groups and schools and whānau work together. I'm a mother of three children. I have one daughter and two sons, and it's important for me to say you can all play rugby and we will support you in every way you play rugby. I also think here in the Bay of Plenty for um, young girls to play rugby, they um, need to participate in men's or boys' competitions prior to the age of turning 12. I mean, at one stage, does it become an all-girls competition? And at that stage, do we lose some of those players as well? So hopefully money that's injected from New Zealand rugby will go towards not just promoting the sport and making it accessible, but also keeping players in the sport, be it male or female. Hey, Zoe, just stay there. Let's get a response from Sam first, and then we'll come back to you. Yeah, Wallace, to my point at the top of the show around long-term planning, I think it's great that New Zealand rugby has come out uh, and, and, and done this strategy for women and girls on rugby. And, and that, I guess, um, Zoe, my question to you is more uh, is around the, the, how long do you think the culture change will take? I mean, that there is a lot of there's investment, but there's also a culture change piece, right? Yeah, changing culture is really hard, isn't it? Um, But, you know, and this might sound controversial, but if you're a man who feels that women and girls do not belong in rugby, you need to step aside because rugby is for everyone. I think we've moved beyond that, haven't we? I hope we have. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've still, you know, I still have conversations with men who feel that women do not deserve investment because they don't, get the crowds, which is absolute rubbish. I mean, you just have to look at um, the growing crowds around Super Opiki, the crowd last year for the final of the Rugby World Cup. I was there. It was magnificent. But that piece is going to be, you know, that culture change is is going to be there. But um, it's true about the community, right? And one of the things that I find so fascinating is that out of this strategy, it found that nearly half of our volunteers in, in rugby are women. 
which is amazing. Right. I think that's so wonderful. Wow. That's brilliant. So we are, we <laughs> are there. Yeah, but I do feel that they haven't extended themselves as far as they possibly could have in some areas, particularly around governance. So they are the only major sports body to not yet hit the 40% government-mandated quota. They were meant to hit it at the end of last year and were, were lost um, nearly $300,000 last year in Sport New Zealand funding. And if they don't get another woman on the board this year at New Zealand Rugby, they will lose nearly 600000 Now, for their there provincial goes, Zoe, unions... That's a job for- that's a job for you, Zoe. Put your hand up. Oh, 100%. I've got a question for you. Like, that, that into, that, that, that's aspirational. They've yeah. got a goal of bringing yeah. 50,000 female players by 2033. And you look at the state of rugby right now, and not all as well as it stands, just in terms of both men and women. Uh, structural, you know. Um, I'm wondering, mm. is that actually realistic? Do you know what? I think it is. I, it can be, it can happen. But, you know, the, out of this strategy, it's found that almost 90% of girls and women who play women's rugby are under the age of 18. So there's a real pinch point right there at school leavers and beyond on why women do not continue in rugby playing, for example. So, I mean, and we know women have different roles and we're not little men and so we have to create and design pathways to ensure that we keep our girls and women in the sport in a way in a capacity that they can still all do all the other busy lively things that we do as women um, and still engage and participate in sport we need to have those systems in place to be able to have that fifty thousand mark but if we don't have those systems it's not going to work Good on you, Zoe. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Wonderful. That's uh, senior sports journalist Zoe George. What about you, Livina? Have you ever have you ever played rugby yourself? Yeah, in Australia, I played some rugby league actually, and uh, and I I actually think with the NRL women's competition that's jumped forward and looking for yeah. paid parity is really really important as well. So it's a challenging sport. I just think it should be available to everyone, but it's about us within our own Fano saying anyone can play it. We all support it and. I, I'm really wondering also, and it's a shame that Zoe's gone, but I'm wondering if New Zealand Rugby would have invested this $10 million in this um, strategic plan over 10 years if the Black Ferns had not have won the competition five months ago and if they were on their performance level of a few months earlier where they lost all of those test matches in England against France and England. But they did win. They've got a strategic plan. And the big thing is rugby is for everyone and let's make mm. it available for all those who want to play it. You're a rugby player, Sam? I, um, I would like to say I was. Uh, not my, my grandfather was an All Black, and I came from a rugby family. But no, Your I'm a volunteer. Was an guy. All Black. Uh, yes, so I came from a strong rugby family. Who? Frank McAtamini in '56. So um, he, he'd be proud of this. He, he passed away a couple of years oh, ago. Yeah. Um, but I was just thinking that, that to to, sorry, to the, the the conversation. You can you can contribute as uh, as a woman or a person in in rugby without having to play. So just reading their strategy, three percent only three percent of female chairs across rugby boards across the country. Country, only 5.7% of referees, and only and only 27% of all board members, whether local or uh, senior, um, uh, are, are female. So there's a lot of opportunity there for a lot of women to be involved in sport governance as well as the, More the, the volunteer table, sector eh? and the volunteer yeah. roles. Eight away from five, the panel, Lavina Good and Sam Johnson with me this afternoon. Hope you're staying safe uh, if you are driving. Uh, let us know how you're doing there. Oh, you'll um, be kept up to date with traffic updates.
uh, across uh, the station into checkpoint. Northbound traffic starting to build in Wellington as city dwellers head off for the long weekend. Traffic along urban motorway through to State Highway 1 near Newlands is flowing steadily along State Highway 2 through Hutt Valley. Traffic was also beginning to build. That's just updated as of six minutes ago. But to this, more or as importantly, almost Easter weekend, which means it's time for everyone's favourite season mm-hmm. treat. And that is, that's right, Sam Johnson, hot cross buns. I think we can all admit it, Delicious. nothing beats a good hot cross bun. A bad one can be disappointing. Nada Bakery recently came second in the nationwide Great NZ Hot Cross Bun competition. And the bakery's owner, co-owner Michael Gray, was previously the chief judge for the competition. So if anyone knows what a good bun is, it's Michael. Michael, kia ora, lovely to have you on the panel. Uh, kia ora, guys. Um, yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you. Firstly, uh, I know what I like in a good hot cross bun. What's the secret to Nada's hot cross buns? Oh, look, we're full of fruit. Um, we've got a lot of fruit in there. We've got a huge array of spices that go into it. Um, and as cheesy as it sounds, there's a lot of passion. Um, <laughs> just to make something that, you know, that's good and wholesome and that we love to feed to our own families. No, no, it doesn't sound cheesy because to make something, uh, particularly when you turn it out, you've got to care, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, just because we, you know, we have a batch of, oh, I don't know, um, you know, a hundred packets of hot cross buns that we're working away in one batch, each bun that we're putting onto the tray, you know, our team recognises that each bun is a customer, and, yeah. and you know, that mm. each bun is a person. And our ethos in our business is if you wouldn't sell it to your grandmother, don't sell it to your customers. <laughs> um, that, there's a tweet. Each bun is a customer, Lavina Good. Lavina first. Yeah, Michael, I was just about to tell you, I am a sucker for a hot cross bun. I absolutely love them. I think it can bring it in to any of those keto, dairy-free, vegan enthusiasts <laughs> at any stage of the day, without a doubt. Michael, I have to confess, I'm going through a brioche hot cross bun stage because I think it's enriched and soft and it has loads of egg and milk and butter, all the finer things in life. But do the brioche buns have less spice in them? Because I love the spice in a hot cross bun. That one goes to you, Michael Gray. Yeah, look, uh, as far as the brioche bun goes, I mean, it's something that we haven't done because our buns are just so popular as they are. Um, we have, you know, we only do sort of two varieties. We do a chocolate um, hot cross bun, which is made with Whitaker's chocolate. And then we do a, a, wow. our fruit hot cross bun. Um, and we choose Whitaker's chocolate, one, because it's iconic in New Zealand, but also it's actually the closest produ- chocolate producer to where we are in Tawa. So we try to keep it local. Mm. As far as the brioche bun goes, I think people would hold back a little bit on the spice because you're wanting the egg and rich sort of flavour to come through because really it's a, hi- a bit of a hybrid product. Uh, I guess a hot cross bun traditionally is something that's full of fruit and spice. And if you're trying to get that flavour of the brioche coming through, that can the spice can overpower it. So it comes down to the, the baker and what they're trying to represent to the customer. Yeah, my customer, my, my producer Sam gave me a bit of a hint on what's in the Nada's hot cross buns. You've got the likes of uh, your, your ginger, nutmeg, pimento, cloves, cardamom, your, your cassia, your pre-soaked sultanas. It's pretty comprehensive there, Michael. Sam Johnson, are you a bun fan? 
Oh, I love a hot cross bun, Wallace. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And actually this morning, uh, we went at half past seven this morning, we went to, with my mum to Copenhagen Bakery in Christchurch, and there was a 25-minute queue to get to the front to buy hot cross buns. It was, I've never seen it. I've never seen such a queue at 7.30 in the morning at, the, at a bakery. They? Yeah, that, that, well. they got third. So what yeah. is it? Daily Bread got first, Auckland's Daily Bread, yeah. followed by uh, Nada and then Copenhagen. Can you tell us a bit about the bakery, Michael? It's a family business, right? Yeah, so look, uh, I mean, we're 48 years in business this year. My father started. Um, yeah, my father started in 1975. And um, we had, uh, at one stage, seven bakers, bakeries throughout, throughout Wellington. And when he, um, I guess when I came along, he decided that um, Stanley was important and he kept our shop in Johnsonville. And then we were happy with that for many years. And then probably about 12 years ago, we opened up another site in Tawa and moved our production there as well to a larger space. Um, but our family business, we've had you know, lots of people working in here from the family, brothers, sisters. My sister came in and helped out today. Um, my brother has helped out on many occasions. You know, Mum's still involved in the business. My auntie comes in. We've got my cousins. Um, and then we take pride in employing a lot of young people as well because we think it's really important to give um, young people a first job. We sort of refer to ourselves as the University of Nada at times because we're teaching basic life skills. Michael, I just love it. Um, thank you so much for being with us on the panel and uh, all the best for uh, the Easter season and uh, go well. Yeah, hey, thank you. And yeah, wishing all the listeners a, a very happy and safe Easter themselves. Indeed. Can I just to also do a plug for Foles Patisserie on Dominion Road? Uh, our wonderful colleague Lucy bought in. Get this, a pink taro and Nutella hot cross bun. And it melted in my mouth. I'm still celebrating. Uh, wonderful, wonderful panel, both of you. Um, Sam Johnson, Lavina Good, Kira. Thanks for being with me. Uh, I'm Wallace Chapman. Sam Johnson, my wonderful producer, thank you. Going out with a little bit of Toto, Rosanna, Checkpoint with Lisa Owen. Next, have a great, fabulous Easter weekend. See you Tuesday, 345.